Amen. Well, as we gather this morning, we are um, taking a break from our sermon series in the book of Mark. And so we'll take a break for the next several weeks just through this uh, Advent season, Christmas season. Um, and we're going to have several different sermons just on Advent. And so this will be something we've done the last couple of years. This will be something very similar to that. And so this morning we're going to look at Luke uh, chapter 1, just thinking of all of the work that God was coming to do and the preparation for his work. And so there is something uh, very unique about the season of Advent as we take a minute to pause here, to think about this. And we're doing this fairly intentionally to say there is an importance to Christ entering into the world. I think we could acknowledge that when you say it that way. But to stop as the church and say, I will give some space to recognize this, to celebrate it, to reflect on it, to teach about it, to talk about it. So one of the things, um, just I would encourage each of you, uh, we have a couple books, just as you seek to do this, out in our bookstore. One of them is by Paul Tripp called Come Let Us Adore Him. This is just a daily devotional, just thinking in terms of Advent. And so this is a book that would be really good as you think about how do I think on these things as Christmas comes. Oftentimes we're very consumeristic in our culture, and thinking on Advent this way is one of the ways that uh, in our homes, in our lives, in our own minds, we, we really do become countercultural. To say, I'm not just here to consume all the things that our culture gives me, but I am going to receive these things from God. How did you enter into the world, and how do I shape my world around this? Another one, just for those of you who are parents, is um, uh, this is an Advent version of the Jesus Storybook Bible. And so this one's kind of fun. It has some music and buttons that young kids can push and little readings in it. But this basically gives you readings for every day of Advent for your family, uh, for young kids especially, to be able to stop and think of what is the grand story of Scripture as it focuses in on the coming of Jesus. And so this is a really rich resource. There's many, many others you can pull on. I mean, we have one that we're doing that goes through the names of Jesus every single day. We're just thinking on those and, and thinking about who is this Jesus coming to be with us. So many resources you can think through, uh, but I would encourage you just as, as you think about this for your homes and your family to do one of these. To don't just uh, allow culture to sweep you along with their traditions and habits, but to set ones that are based on the way God has ordered the world and his church. So a couple there for you just to, to check out in our bookstore. Um, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 8 through 38. It's a little bit longer of a section, just as we think of this, this text that reminds us of this Advent season that we can focus on and be reminded of the significant way in which Jesus came to us. So here in the the Gospel of Luke, we do have this account that is fairly unique here. Um, and often as we think in terms of Advent, we think of, as I've already talked about this morning, of the things that we like to think about. But there was a sense in the book of Luke as this story comes around that there was a deep desire for God to come back. To say that this world feels rather hopeless aside from this Messiah, this Christ coming and fulfilling all these things. And so this text becomes rather pregnant in a manner of sense uh, with the expectation of Jesus to say, will he come? How will he come? And it is necessary not only for us to know that he is coming, 
but actually to, as we'll see in this text, it's very important for him to come, and he is coming, and that is an immovable fact, but how do we receive that message? You can hear the message of Jesus is coming. You can hear the fact that he is coming again, and you can look at it and be like, I don't see it. I don't believe it. Is this really true? And turn away from it. And so this morning, uh, even as we look at this, I'd like to frame it not so much around the truths of who Jesus is in his coming, but around how we receive him and how we prepare our own hearts to receive him with all of this. So uh, if you have your Bibles, do turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 38, and if you'd stand with me for the reading of God's word, I'll read this entire section and then we'll kind of look at some different portions of it. This is God's word. It says, Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn their hearts of their fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom and the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at this delay in the temple. And when they came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people." In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, and the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give, thank, give to him the throne of his father David, and he, will be, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered him, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and his is in the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am your servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to you your word. And the angel departed from her. This is God's word. Amen. Do take a seat. Let's do pray as we just look at this text this morning. Father God, we do thank you that you have come into this world. Lord, that you have been gracious to us to be able to enter in with us in a world that is broken, that is far from you, that is sinful. And Lord, we see that you enter in in the most humble of ways. And you help us to understand this. You help us to see this. You prepare the way of your coming. You prepare our hearts for your coming. Lord, we pray this morning as we look at this text that reminds you of your coming, that you would help us as your people to seek you in a way that prepares our own hearts in a similar way. To allow you to work in us and in our church in a way that we see has happened here. So Lord, we lift all this up before you in Jesus' name, asking you to work powerfully this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And as you look at this passage, one of the things that's really um, striking as you l- read larger portions of Scripture is you start to see the way that the narrative unfolds. And so it's not always super common to read that long of a text, but as you look at it, you start to see there is something about this that Luke is trying to get across to us to help us to see that with the coming of the Lord, there is different ways that we respond. You see these numbers of questions to say, what is going on here? We look at Jesus and his coming, and this is the eternal God of all creation entering into the world, and there's some questions that should rightly arise in your mind. How is this going to happen? How is God going to do this? How will it work within my heart, within my mind, if God is going to make a way for salvation uh, that should cause some questions to rise up in your mind and your heart? And then we can run into this place of saying, well, how do I get my questions answered? Do I need all of my questions answered? In fact, there is no end to any of these questions. One of the things that preceded our current age with our postmodern thinking uh, was some of the philosophical thought that arise that said, maybe we can get to the bottom of this. And one of these thinkers um, was basically equipped to do this. He was said, what, would you try and make it so that there is no skepticism allowable anymore within our faith? And so Rene Descartes basically did this. He said, I'm going to remove anything that's not certain. And so he takes all the things that he doesn't know for sure outside of faith. And he does this from a place of, I believe, but I just want to like bolster up our faith. And so he does this work, and he keeps going and going, pulling all these things away and philosophical thought and saying, well, I'm left with just 
<laughs> the things I know for sure. And while there is something really valuable about being able to ask our questions before Scripture and bring these things before God, now one of the things that came out of that is really in that type of environment, you really can know nothing. And what is it that is true about our postmodern world that has come out is, well, we can't know anything for certain. Just ask your questions, and that is just this generic construct in which we live our lives to say, well, you can't know anything for certain. Like, ask your questions and you'll never be certain. And yet, this is not the way Scripture leaves us. It doesn't leave us in this place of just, there's no answer to your questions. There's a million questions, just blind faith on the one extreme. But there is a sense that you can have honest faith um, and on the other side, there's doubt that exists with these questions at the root of them. And so there's another aspect. It could be uh, just blind doubt, which is what that philosophical thought started to push into. And you can say, like, well, there's something within the two of them of I will never know everything, so I need to be able to wrestle with God and come to a place that I trust Him. I have faith, and yet there are still areas of uncertainty within my understanding of him. And so as God comes to these different individuals, they have questions, and we start to see there is a way forward here for us to be able to trust God, to see that he is coming, and respond rightly to him. And so Jesus is certainly difficult to understand. We should be bringing our questions before God, saying, I don't quite get this, and God will work in and through these things to help us to know him to receive him, to trust him. So one of the questions we enter in here with is, how can I receive the message God has given me when I don't know everything I want to? That really is an irritating thing for us to say, I don't know everything I want to know. How can I receive this message if that's true? And I think there's much for us here to be able to hold on to. So as we come to God with our questions, uh, there's a few things that we're going to see. First of these would be, as we ask our questions, God deals with our unhealthy doubt. There are different aspects of doubt that we'll get into, but God deals with our unhealthy doubt. Let's look back at verses 18 through 23 as we think on these things. And this is Zechariah's response to God's message that we're focusing in on here. Zechariah says this to the angel. He says, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. One of the things you see immediately is Zechariah has these questions. God is saying, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to make this happen, and he's going to be used powerfully in this purpose of God. And one of the things that Zechariah says right away is, how will I know this? A seemingly simple question. If you had been without a child for that many years and you're old in age, you start to, want, you start to look at the question and say, that's a fair question. Like, how is that going to happen? How shall I know this? How shall it be? And hidden behind this simple question is an, an element of this unhealthy doubt in this priest. And doubt 
very clearly is this moment in which things that are true, something that has been told to you is true, you take it, you receive it, and it kind of gets thrown up into, we're not sure. Let's examine it and figure out. I don't know what, what is true here. So he says, how shall I know this? This, this is an element of doubt for him. So Zechariah, he's a pretty unique guy. He stands as one of many, many priests. And so he enters in, in a very unique way here into this story. He is from a, a lineage that is well known uh, from Aaron himself. And so he's standing amongst, though, 18,000 different priests who would come and do this sacrifice. And so he is selected by lot to go do this. This is a once-in-a-lifetime experience for any of these priests to be able to do. He enters into the presence of God, a very unique thing for any priest that they long to do. And all of a sudden, he sees this vision. And this angel is coming before him. And he's like, what am I seeing? <laughs> like, is this real? Like, this, does this happen every time someone comes in here? I mean, this is wild. And so he's trying to make sense of what's in front of his eyes. He's like, is this true? Is what I'm hearing true? Can I believe this? And so he has this question of, how shall I know this? How shall I know this? And, and if you know anything about the priesthood, they were well prepared for their role. They knew the Bible. They knew all the details of how they were to carry out their role. They knew much about faith in God. And so he would have not been someone who didn't understand God very well. And so this this is coming at him, and it's like a million things probably start rattling through his brain. Of like, is this the way God works? Is it appropriate to ask questions of God? And he's thinking back, well, there are plenty of examples of people asking questions. So he just asks this question. And we can think, because of the angel's response to him, it might not be a good idea to ask questions, but he asks it anyway. But what is the nature of his question that makes it unhealthy? What is it, the nature of his question, that makes this doubt unhealthy? And he says, we look at his question again. He says, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Give me a sign. And right here, you start to see where is the question focused. It's focused in on God himself, questioning God to say, can you actually do that? Can you prove it to me? Because I'm going to walk back out here and there's going to be lots of people with many, many questions. And I'm going to have to be able to answer them. I want some certainty that this is really going to happen. How do I know that what I'm seeing is true? Is there some certainty that I can hold on to? So what is really behind this question, it's kind of veiled to a certain degree, is, is what I'm seeing true? Does God really see me this way? Is God really going to do this? Will he do this? And will others believe me? And even this angel speaking to him, do I really trust you? Do I really trust that God would do this? Do I even want a child at this age of my life? A million questions that start to circle around this. And the angel says, if you want a sign, I am the sign. <laughs> I stand in the presence of God. I came to you. Like, this will happen. You don't need any more certainty that this will happen. Like, this is a fact. This will happen. So doubt is an interesting thing here in Scripture. What's going on in doubt is not the, the element of what has been told of truth, but it's the way we receive it. To say, am I able to trust this thing? Is it accurate? And doubt enters in and says, we're not sure anymore. 
I remember one time I was driving uh, from actually Corvallis to Pullman for, uh, to go see my brother, and uh, I was driving a Nissan Frontier, and it was everything in this truck just worked just fine. It was a fantastic little truck. I loved it. Nothing seemed to go wrong with it. And I'm driving along, and I've been driving for quite a while. I think I was listening to an audiobook and thinking, like, oh, this is great. Like, I, I love this. Like, I'm making really great time. And all of a sudden, my car just starts to sputter and, and dies. I'm like, what's going on? I look down at my dash, and everything seems fine. The gas is, like, half full. I'm like, this is weird. And I pull over. I'm like, man, I've, like, I'm almost to Pullman. Like, how did I make it so far? And all of a sudden, I realized, like, the gas gauge stopped working. I'm looking at this thing, and it's like, gas stage is no longer working. It's the first time it failed. I'm like, wow, that really, like, it should have made sense to me. And from then on, every time I got in my truck, I'd look at the gauge and I'd say, I'm not sure that I believe you. <laughs> like, you might be lying to me. Are you holding this over my head, that just this false sense of trust? And there's a similar sense going on here with the doubt of Zechariah to say, can I really trust you, God? So the nature of the question is actually focused in on his relationship with God himself to say, can I really trust you? Like, prove to me. And this is the core central nature of what the uh, Pharisees would often do. They disbelieved that Jesus was who he says he was. And so they'd say, give us a sign. Show me. Prove it to me. I don't believe you. I don't trust you. And so it becomes a seemingly simple question, but... It is not really all that simple. In fact, it is something that is getting more to the core of his relationship with God becomes the point that it becomes unhealthy. Now, this doesn't mean it is an unforgivable thing. Like the angel says, this is still going to happen for you. Like God is still going to work through you in this way. I will still keep you in this place, but you're not going to speak about this for a while. Highlights kind of the nature of his own need for control of the information, his own need to be able to be the authority in the room, to say, I'm going to walk out and tell all the people what exactly is going on here. And you see the, the dynamic that starts to happen is that Zechariah just slightly took this position and said, I might be just able to ask God some questions that puts me in control of what's going on. That's what we often do with information to say, I need just a little more so that I can get my arms around this thing and understand it. And it's very subtle, and it's something that God deals with us in a very loving way, as you see here. Because God allows him to still be used in this way. God allows him to continue on. He says, I don't want you to continue in this type of doubt with me. I want you to trust me. I want you to be able to know that what I'm saying is true. Now, it, it becomes something that is very helpful for Zechariah to be able to say, I am seeing God a little differently all of a sudden. The way that God speaks to me, the way he acts in and through my word. And he says, how shall I know this? And he's saying, well, when God speaks to me, I will trust it because it is God who is speaking. Not because I understand the fullness of everything that God wants to do. And so there is this sense as we say, how am I to hear anything from God? One of the things you start to realize is you can't hear anything from God if the relationship is in question. If I doubt who is sending me the message, I won't trust him at all. This is where 
the relationship with God becomes incredibly important to what you hear from God. And this is an unhealthy element of our doubt. So as we come to God's word and we think of our own lives, many people come to God's word and say, I don't trust it at all as being inerrant. I don't trust it at all as being God's word. What are we doing? We're throwing up into doubt whether or not this is even true. They say, can you hear this as authoritative in your life? And God would say, all scriptures God breathed, profitable for teaching, rebuke, all these things. And so we are able to say, will I trust God himself in the trusting of God's word? It's not just abstract truth that I need information. I need to trust God. So when there are gaps in information, it's not so much an issue of, well, I need to know all of it, otherwise I can't believe it. It's saying, well, God has given me enough. And I trust the one who this information is coming from. And that becomes the core of Zechariah's doubt. James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 says this, A doubting man is unstable, unable to lay hold of the promises of God. So if God says something to you, and if you are doubting, it describes you as unstable. So you see these things, you, you hear them, they come at you. God is coming again. This is the way he's coming. This is the way God wants you to live and to act and to be in this world. And you're unable to quite grab hold of it, saying, I'm not sure if I trust it. I see it, it's telling me that, but I'm not sure if it actually is good. And there's many things within our own culture we look at and people say, well, raise your kids this way, work this way, save your money this way. And oftentimes they're just like, they're lifelong experiments to say, well, if, if you follow some philosophical principle about how to raise your kids that's outside of scripture, you're like, well, it worked for that guy, so maybe it'll work for me. And you're watching these things thinking, I can kind of grab something else and, and, and make it work. Oftentimes we're wondering, if I follow the way the Scripture asks me to live throughout the entirety of my life, will it turn out well for me? And it's like, you don't actually always know the answer to that question just following, like, raise your kids in the fear and discipline of the Lord. Why do you do that? Because you know exactly what's going to come out? It's like, I do that because I trust God. <laughs> Not because I know all the details about how this is going to work. I trust his word, and I trust what's going to come of me following his word and listening to his word. And that is something that exists behind us. Oftentimes we hear something in scripture, and we, sometimes it's very, very clear, and we say, is that really true? <laughs> Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? And at the heart of that becomes a very unhealthy portion of doubt that we saw back in the garden with the serpent with Adam and Eve to say, did God really mean what he said? Did God really say that? Should you really trust it? Even though it is fairly simple, don't eat of the tree. And he said, is that really what it said? <laughs> is that really what it meant? And this element of doubt that is very, very unhealthy that questions God himself starts to enter in to our hearts. And this happens more than we would like to believe when we look at Scripture, and there is something that really is fairly simple that says, seek first the kingdom of God. And you're like, well, but <laughs> there's some other things 
that are also equally important that I don't know what to do with. I don't know how to do this fully. I don't even know fully where the kingdom of God is to be sought. I don't even know how to always accomplish the things God has fully set out to do. There's some levels like, well, God has given you what he wants you to know right now. Are you willing to hear what he says and do that? Um, So God deals with our unhealthy doubt. uh, And as we continue on here, we also see that we must ask our honest questions. We must ask our honest questions as we see that it's possible in our questions to display unhealthy doubt. What is the natural response? It's like, well, I'm not going to ask anything now. I've learned, my, I've learned my lesson. I watched what Zachariah did. That was a mistake, and now I know. Just keep your cards close to the chest, and you'll be all right. Let's continue reading uh, in verse 26 through 38. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favorite one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And it's almost like as Luke lays this out, as a reader, you're hearing this, you're like, I just heard a question. What is she doing? (laughs) Like, didn't she get the moral of the last story? You don't ask questions. You don't ask questions of angels who are bringing the news of God. And yet she asks it, and a very different result seems to come about. She asks her question here. So in contrast to Mary's question, um, it doesn't seem to cut in the same way. There is a sense of doubt, I suppose, in every question, uh, if you were to view it that way. But it's not the same type of doubt. It's an uncertainty. I don't quite fully understand. And there's something very unique about Mary and who she is and the way she operates That is also in contrast to who Zechariah is. You look at where Zechariah was, like he is at the center of faith and religion in the city, doing worship at this place, well known and selected, one of the highest honors, and yet you move over to this next place, and where is it? In Nazareth, with a young girl. And girls at that time were always also already kind of on the fringe. So she's a young girl in the fringe city. And this angel comes to her also and says, even more substantial news, even more unbelievable news. And it's not only John who's uh, being brought in an immaculate way, in a, in a miraculous way, that God would do uh, this work through Zechariah. In fact, it's even more unbelievable as he comes to this girl who has less of a pedigree. And she stands before him, and there's a million things that she's probably wondering about this. And what does it say here as, as he begins to speak? 
It says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Greetings, O favored one. And she's like, I am from Nazareth. I'm a woman. Like, I'm barely known by anyone. I'm pro- she probably wasn't spoken directly to very often. And it says this, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So she has a million questions already rolling through her head of, like, God is speaking directly to me through this angel. Like, what is going on? And he just said, I'm favored. I'm valued. I'm seen by the king of all creation. God has favored me. And there's enough right there to baffle the most astute intellect to say God has now spoken to you. And not only this, that you are going to have a child. You won't need a husband. He is going to be the promised Messiah. And he's going to accomplish all these great things. The Holy One from God. I mean, any one of these theologians from the, from the order of the priests or any of the, the well-thought-of religious people would have said, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> is this the moment? I've got a few questions. I need to like take notes. And she's simply coming before him with a very simple questions. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? It's not cutting at her relationship with God of, like, can you really do this? Are you really able to do this type of thing? She's saying, I've got just some basic questions. I'm, I'm on board, is the general thrust. If you think of her the way she's leaning in, she's saying, I trust you. I'm listening. I'm willing to trust. I'm not even asking all the other questions that are in my head, but what do you want me to do? How am I supposed to do this? I've never had a husband. Like, I know some basic things about humanity. Just help me to know, like, what's next? How will this be since I am a virgin? And then you see, the angel doesn't say, don't ask your questions to our wonder and fear of saying, can I bring any questions before God or do I just have to trust him in absolute faith? He's happy to answer her questions and he continues on and he starts to tell her about how this will happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, a child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He keeps going and going. She hears this and it is very, very Simple in that sense. She's able to say, I received this, okay. Oftentimes, we can tend to want to respond very differently than this, to, to have questions and not ask them, to say, well, I'm just going to be, you know, more holiness means just blind acceptance. I'm not going to ask any questions of who God is, of, of Scripture or the Bible. Uh, I know one thing that um, is really rich to me is I've walked with the Lord for many, many years now because I was saved when I was a young kid. And uh, I was studying the Bible with someone who had just come to faith uh, within a couple years. And one of the things that was very fascinating is we studied passages. He would look at these passages and just ask the most basic, simple questions that I had ever, never asked of the text. He was looking at them and saying, I don't get this. How does this happen? And he wasn't necessarily doubting who God was. He wasn't necessarily doubting whether it was true. But he was willing to stop and ask a question he didn't know the answer to. And in my own soul, I'm just like, I've, I don't always want to know the answer to the question. I want to be able to tell the answers 
<laughs> to questions in scriptures. I want to be able to just tell people all the things I know about God, not lean in and say, this is very important for me to understand. I don't quite get it. And the attitude of Mary is saying, I am in already. Now I want to know further information. I'm willing to be part of your plan. I'm willing to do whatever God wants me to do, but I, I do have some more questions. You see the difference very clearly here between the ways that they're asking questions. And you know the difference if you've ever uh, worked with different people. Um, people tend to <laughs> reveal their cards a little bit, even through simple questions. Uh, sometimes you can be working with someone and trying to explain what you'd like them to do. And I've had this sometimes with even different employees when I was managing a bunch of uh, big housing area at Covenant Seminary. And one of the things that some employees would come to me and they'd say, uh, is that really what you want to do? <laughs> and you're like, I have a feeling that there's more behind that question. <laughs> like you don't agree with the plan. And it'd be like, I'd have to ask a follow-up question. It's like, well, is there a problem? Like, like do you see something wrong with it? Like, oh, yeah, well, and then it would launch into this huge thing, and all of a sudden you realized that there is a heart attitude oftentimes behind questions to say, I don't trust you and what you're doing and the way you're doing this. And yet, if someone just sits there silent and won't ask any questions, I remember sometimes I'd want to send someone off to go do something, and, like, they just kind of stare at you, and, like, the whole group is not really, you get the sense that because they're not asking any questions, they're not listening. It's like, eh, whatever. And they're going to go do whatever they want. So here becomes another hard attitude that Scripture starts to reveal that becomes potential to say, if you never ask any questions of God, do you really care? Are you really invested? Are you really willing to hear what he has to say? And I knew it very clearly when I would speak to people, when the, like, they would glaze over and all of a sudden I was like, I just don't really care what God has to say in this moment. I don't really care what you have to say. I don't even think it's right, and so I'm just going to like sit here quietly and wait till this is over. And that is very easily an aspect of our own hearts and minds that can sneak in here. And so what does this lead us to? It starts to lead us to say, hear God, receive his word, and ask your honest questions of him, saying, how will this look in my life? What what does this really mean? Can I understand this just a little bit better? It is a, an attitude of I am leaning into God saying, I am desperate for more from you. I am desperate for more information. I am desperate for what this really means in our world, and I want to know it. So there is a sense that we say, I have this faith in God that is really like a child. And oftentimes we hear, well, have faith like a child, and we think, well, that just means you're just passive. You don't do anything. You just receive it. But how do children operate in this type of faith? Well, they hear things you say, and if you have a good relationship with your son or daughter and they, and they are listening to you, one of the things that they will start to do is they'll start to ask lots and lots of questions because they're interested in your answers. Like, you know everything. <laughs> I want to know what you have to think, what you have to say. And so they're constantly, and the older ch children start to get, the more questions that start to come. They're saying, I'm trying to figure out this world. Help me to understand it, to put things together. And there is a right sense that we as believers, as we start to understand God's plan of redemption, salvation, Jesus entering into this world, to sit back and say, I, I get it. Like, very simple, no problem at all. Like, that really becomes a passive attitude to say, I, I don't really want anymore, God. 
<laughs> I don't need any more information from you. I've got everything I need. In fact, I don't really need you anymore. And yet, as we continue to say, there is probably going to be a sense through all eternity, if we really were honest with our own hearts and souls and minds, that I could be captivated by the person and work of Christ for all eternity. How did you do this? How did you accomplish this? How did you make this happen? And one of Peter's epistles, one of the things he says is, as the angels watch this plan of redemption unfold, they are watching with great expectation. It's, it's things in which angels long to look into. They're saying, how is this possible that God would accomplish salvation with mankind? Because for angels, they didn't have the possibility of salvation. And they're looking and saying, tell us more is the sense you get. Tell us more. And even Jesus, as he comes before God the Father and the work that he's called to do, how does he ask questions? He comes before him and he says, Lord, do I really have to go through with this? I know this is what you've called me to. Do I, do I need to do this? doesn't mean he can't ask his questions, but he's saying, is this, is this the right path? Is this where I'm supposed to go? And he was desperate for God to lead and guide and direct him. He didn't want to do anything outside of the will of God. This is the type of desperation that our own hearts and minds and souls should have towards God to say, I can't take a step without the presence of God. I don't necessarily need to know it all, but I am more and more desperate for him to answer these types of things. And so this is the type of thing we start to see. How will you receive God's word? The relationship is set right, and you want to hear anything that comes from God, anything that comes from God's word, anything that comes from the way he is operating, anything that comes from the Spirit's operation within the church, you're saying, I want to know what he's going to say. There's moments you will speak in the midst of that and ask your questions. There's also moments you're going to listen very, very attentively. So we must ask our questions. It's not just that we get to, but we must ask our questions. Bring these before God. And this leads us to this final element we see here, is that how do we respond to this? We must respond not passively, not apathetically, but we must respond in thoughtful surrender. Let's look at verses 26 through 38 here. Uh, we'll actually skip down here uh, to where we just left off. Down in, uh, we'll start in 33 again. Speaking of Jesus, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, a child will be born, who will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of with her who has been called barren for nothing will be impossible with God and Mary said behold I am the servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her and here is a third statement that becomes very key here and this becomes almost the central heart and nature of the entire Christian faith and discipleship. And she displays it here with this humble little girl to say, 
let it be to me according to your word. It's not just passively letting God speak to her. She's saying, I believe this, I trust you, and it will be. I trust that it will happen the way you have said it. Once we have heard God speak, we do have this decision to make. We come before God and we hear these words, and it's how do you interact with it? How is your heart interacting with it? How are you hearing these words come to you? How are you receiving them? Faith and doubt do exist, and there is somewhat of a tension to say, I don't understand everything completely and fully as I look at the world around me, as I look at all the things that God is doing. I don't understand. There's certain questions that arise. And though our world tries to push doubt up to say, question everything, Scripture actually reverses it and says, faith in God, the one who says, I will be with you, I will go before you, I will never abandon you. Faith in God should actually precede our questions and our doubt to say, this is the immovable peace. The fact that God is coming, the fact that God does love his people, the fact that God will accomplish these things, this is the thing on which every question we have before God is based and rightly is brought before him as, I assume that you are God, I assume that you are good, I assume that you will do the things that you will say you will do and you're able to do them. There is nothing that God cannot do, as the angel has just said, nothing is impossible for God. We trust that. And to the watching world, it might even look like blind faith. It might even look like we are looking in and saying, there's no reason for it. And we would say as believers, there is every reason to trust this God. I don't know everything about him. I don't know everything about his plan. I don't know everything about he is trying to accomplish. But I trust God. And that is not just a blind acceptance of the things of God. We can still come before God saying, assuming you trust me, I'm still thoughtfully surrendering to the things that you're giving to me. I'm still engaging actively. I'm still willing to do whatever you would have me do in and under your authority, Lord. I will act. May it be to me according to your word. May it be to me according to your word. This is nothing more than recognizing and acknowledging God in his rightful place and trusting him even when I don't have all the information, even when I don't even know what the next step might be. And there are a million decisions that come at us daily, weekly, and sometimes it even feels like through the course of our years and lives, it's like you just kind of operate and exist and just make decisions. And yet the necessity of God holding this place in our life is evident in Scripture. Um, Thinking back to that same job I was talking about that I had at Covenant, one of the things that God had been very gracious to Emily and I as we headed to seminary was he uh, allowed us to have work right away. And so I had had a background in engineering and project management and construction. And so I had a fairly strong resume in those areas. And... I had gotten a job doing some side contracting throughout the city that paid for bills, but something that was much more convenient was on campus, they had these maintenance positions, and they paid something like $11 an hour to start. I think it might have been 10 even when I first started. And I'm like, I was coming from making lots of money managing very big projects to just between classes, I'm going to make 10 bucks an hour. 
And that also came with working for someone that I didn't always agree with. It's like, well, this guy has less education than me, even in the field that he's the professional, and he's telling me to do things. And oftentimes, I was the person saying, is that really what you want to do? <laughs> and I remember coming home day after day, like seminary was all good, and then I'd go to this job, and I'd be just, just livid, like this guy has no idea what he's doing. I am so angry about this. I'm going to quit. This is the last day. And the next day, I was like, this is the last day. And this is the last day. And I keep going on and on. And one of the things I started to realize as I went to Scripture was that I was like, God, what do you want me to do here? Like, this is ridiculous. I can't do this anymore. It's not paying any money. Like, do you understand the situation here? Like, this is, I've got to give it up. Like, this is ridiculous. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. And then I was reading Philippians chapter 2, one of my daily devotionals. Um, and it said this, it said, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being full of accord, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. There is a moment I have to say, am I willing to surrender my heart to that text to say, I'm not more significant than this guy. I could make his, this isn't even God's full purpose. God has made it clear, like he wants me to go into ministry. This isn't the main thing. Maybe I could make his job a little easier being kind, humble, patient, building him up, helping him do his job well. It's not just to remove me from that situation. It's not to remove him. But Lord, you've placed me here. Maybe I should submit my will to where you've placed me. And I can guarantee there are numbers of ways the Lord has placed you in areas in your life where you're looking at it saying, God, why have you done this? Why do you have me here? Why are you allowing this? Why won't you speak to me? And yet God does speak to us in many, many ways. And we have to say, are you willing to hear him? Are you willing to hear the way he has spoken? When we look at the way we hold our finances, God is clear in many respects about how a Christian and a believer is to use their finances. And we can have this same response. May it be to me according to your word, the way that you've asked me to hold these things. When it comes to our homes and our families, the way we should discipline our children, we can say, I, I don't totally get how this works out in all the details. I don't quite understand it. And as we come before God and he teaches us how to humble with clear boundaries and authority and yet a caring and loving environment in which your kids know that both of their parents love Jesus and love one another and love them, all of these things, say, I am going to form it the way God has told me. I don't know everything about what they're supposed to do in every situation, but these things I do know. May it be to me according to your word. May it be to me according to your word. As we think about even the ways that we engage with the frustrating things, the things that make us very, very angry, 
God tells us to be humble, patient, kind. Are we taking captive those things and saying, Lord, I'm willing to submit my will, which wants to do this one thing, respond irrationally, respond quickly, respond violently even, that exists deep in our heart, and frustrated even at the, the politics of our world, the brokenness of our communities, to say, Lord, don't you see this? Similar question to Zechariah. Don't you know that I'm old in age and I'm unable to have children? Don't you see this, Lord? And yet we are able as Christians to approach it very differently in this idea of our thoughtful surrender to say, the Lord does see it. I have questions about how I'm supposed to proceed, but it is under his rule. May it be to me according to your word, Lord. May it be to me the way that you have said it will become, and I will trust you to do these things, and I will operate and act the way you have asked me to act. This is not a call to say, God's going to work, and I just sit on the sideline. Mary is saying, I will do whatever, I'm your servant. I will do whatever you would have me do. The Christian life is a call to a different kind of action. You are a servant not of sin and death, but you are a servant of Christ. To say, God, would you show me where to go, the way to live my life? How is it that we hear God's word? It is through that type of heart and attitude to say, I trust you, God. And based on that trust, I will continue to ask questions. What is next? What is next? I trust you inherently. There is no question about the place that God holds in the life of the believer. It is foundational. It is central. And that was the error of the philosophers to say, maybe we can move that one around and just figure out what we know. And essentially they're saying, I am above God. I get to decide everything, whether I think it's true or not. And for the believer, it's saying, no, you can't do that. I will be your God. You will be my people. I am coming into this world. This is the way it will be. And this is the way that you can live rightly and rest under my rule and authority. And we say, I want that. (laughs) I'm willing to do it. Like, tell me more. How am I supposed to do this? I want this to come to every stretch of Spokane. I want this in every corner of my business, of my life, of my home. Lord, if you would come in, show me what this is going to look like. Jesus says, ask for the kingdom of God to come here. Lord, would you have your kingdom come? And Jesus, in a very similar way, operates this way. He says, I trust the Father. I do the will of the Father. I will accomplish everything he has sent me to do. Even the things that I don't want to do, I will do. Even the things that I don't fully understand, I will accomplish them for him because this is good. And they're even asking Jesus, when will you come again? He says, I don't know. (laughs) Trust him. He knows. Trust him. This is the heart for us to be able to trust God to say, I have questions. I don't know how to forgive. I don't even know how to deal with the sin in my heart. I don't know how to deal with the anger in my heart. I don't know how to deal with the frustration of everything that God has called me to do, but I trust God. This is the place that we can find great peace and security. And for those who don't believe in Jesus, there isn't that sense of assurance that Christianity and Jesus coming into the world, 
The one who's coming from outside in is coming to bring peace, order, joy. This world doesn't know that type of thing. To trust in Jesus is to say, I don't have to make sense of all of this. He will and I am going to serve him in that. So this is something he invites us into. He says, come, be part of my kingdom. Come, rest and worship in the world that I am making. Come, be part of these things. And this is part of the call of our recognition of Jesus' coming in Advent to say, there is no other hope but for Jesus coming into this world. And I trust him above anything else. Let's do pray.